Welcome to the Talks on Law MCLE podcast. Interviews with leading attorneys, professors, and judges on important and thought-provoking legal topics. And now, for the interview. Today we're going to be talking about a critically important but widely misunderstood aspect of police encounters, and that is police commands. Hello and welcome to Talks on Law. I'm Joel Cohen. Today we're joined remotely by Professor Rachel Harmon of the University of Virginia School of Law. Rachel is one of the nation's top experts on police law and the author of the book, The Law of the Police. And her latest work explores how regulating police commands can play a critical role in limiting improper police coercion. Rachel, welcome to Talks on Law. Thanks so much for having me, Joel. It's wonderful to have you back. Uh, we had a conversation in the past about policing the police. Today we're talking about police orders or police commands. Why don't we start with a quick overview? What drew you to this topic? What, what made you passionate about police commands? Well, I've been thinking about this for about 10 years because I get asked a lot of questions about policing and acts that police commit. And the question is always, is what this guy did legal? And I try to answer those questions. And for many years, I realized that some of the hardest questions that I would get asked, questions that I couldn't really answer very well, were about police commands. Um, people experience them as really important, but in law and in criminology, in policing itself, commands are rarely the focus. And so I started focusing on actually what commands are used for, what they're good for, and what law governs them. Well, maybe that's a good outline for, for today's conversation. I mean, we're going to talk about the, the legal limits of police commands, the legal weight. Uh, maybe, maybe you could throw in an example of how police commands gone wrong leads to really negative outcomes. Well, I can give you two examples. One, very recently, the Tyree Nichols um, beating and and uh, his subsequent death. Um, if you look at that, the uh, New York Times did an analysis of the video that's available and found that the officers involved issued 71 commands in the 13 minutes of the interaction. Um, the, if you look at those 71 commands, many of them were either impossible to comply with because the officers were holding his arms while they were telling him to give them his hands, um, or they were confusing. They told him to get down on the ground when he was already sitting on the ground, or they simply gave the command and gave him no opportunity to comply. The very first command in the interaction is uh, something like, uh, get the fuck out of the car, and then immediately the officer pulls him out. So the commands did not cause the violence in um, uh, that was done to Tyree Nichols, but they definitely, in the officers' minds, helped justify that violence. Um, they, they, you see, officers frequently um, use force because they believe their commands are not being complied with, and we often talk about the force in those circumstances, but we don't talk about the commands. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me like you could think of commands as well as use of force as different tools in the police tool belt and commands should certainly in most cases come first. Almost always. Um, it, it, it's in fact, thinking about them as 
different options is probably misleading from a legal perspective. Often officers can't use force unless they first given a command. So I think we should be focusing on those commands. In fact, if you think about a use of force encounter, an encounter that goes wrong, um, then you should start all the way from why is the officer there? How, what, uh, what kind of interaction are they having? Does the officer try to coerce somebody? Um, why does the person not comply? If the person doesn't comply, how does the officer respond to that at compliance? One way to think about intervening to prevent bad outcomes in policing is to think about that chain of events and all the ways you can intervene along that chain. But one of the most important things that's happening in many police encounters is that the officer wants someone to do what they don't want to do. And eventually that person is the, the state insists that they do it. We focus on the force that officers use. But if we focus instead on the command, we often are getting that encounter where it really, where the rubber is really hitting the road because if the officer didn't issue the command, the force would never be justified. So this is true. You know, I'm interested in force both that's legal, but still has harmful outcomes and force that's illegal. And the questions are, how do we, how do we think about those interactions? How do we understand them? What law limits them? How should they be governed differently? And how can we avoid some of the worst outcomes? And as we'll discuss today, sometimes the commands or lack of commands may have a real impact on whether the force was legal. Yes, that's right. So what types of commands do police officers issue? So there's no official categorization, but I think there are three basic types of commands that you see most often. One is the command to do something, uh, move along, let's see some identification, hands up, drop the gun, pop the trunk, tell me what happened, that kind of command. Then there are the commands to not do something, don't do something, don't move, don't shoot, stay in the car. Um, and then there are the commands that tell you to stop doing something you're already doing. That might be a command to freeze, to shut up, or to stop resisting or stop fighting. Those are the three basic categories that you hear pretty often. I couldn't help but re remember this one video of someone recording a police officer in the New York City subway, and the officer said, put your, put your phone away, stop recording. And, you know, he's saying, I don't have to do that. And I think it ended up leading to an arrest, uh, despite the fact that perhaps that command was not lawful. Yeah. So the command to stop recording is not an uncommon one, and it is unlawful. It violates the First Amendment. In reading about policing and the project of policing, I've heard police defined by their ability to use force. Would you take issue with that? Is it is it the use of force or their ability to make enforceable commands? So I think there's no question that force is critical to how we think about policing. And it is certainly the most consequential thing that police officers do. They, they have the power in many cases to take people's lives and certainly to harm them. So I don't want to minimize the significance of force. But I do think that when we're thinking about how we govern the police, when we think about what the actual functional units of policing are, you know, what we have is a state that often wants people to do what they don't want to do. And the actors who actually interact with people on the streets to make that happen are police officers who are, have 
broad responsibilities for keeping the peace, for detecting crime, for enforcing the law. And then we have people. And the question is, how do we get from A to B, whether that's getting somebody to stop doing something that's disruptive or to submit to an arrest, to face justice, um, any of those things, we when we think about how police officers do that, we often focus on the fact that they have the authority to use force. But, you know, as I suggested earlier, officers can't usually use force unless they first issue a command. Because if an officer wants you to get out of your car, you have no obligation to get out of your car until the officer tells you to get out of your car. And getting out of the car if he doesn't tell you to or she could be a problem in and of itself. Sir, I didn't tell you to get out of the car. Yes, exactly. So you often have to have a command before you've done anything that justifies the use of force. And in the law, force is really um, only legal when officers face resistance. And so um, I think you're right to suggest that actually it's the power to give the enforceable command rather than the authority to use force that most characterizes our interactions with the police. This was something that blew my mind a little bit. If I'm doing something wrong and a police officer sees it, do they have any obligation to attempt to have me self-regulate first? Or can they jump ahead and take me, throw me to the ground and put me in cuffs when a simple, sir, stop what you're doing might have done the trick? You know, that raises some tough questions. It partly depends on what you're doing. Um, at one extreme, you can imagine if you're an active shooter, um, an officer does not have to issue a command to stop you, though often they will, in, before he stops you, um, perhaps by shooting you. Right. And part of the reason for that is because the law takes it that you know your obligation to not be doing what you're doing, and you are flouting that obligation willfully. And doing so in a way posing lethal risk to other people. That's right. And we can't allow that to continue. Now, often the best way to stop you is actually to issue the command. And officers use that judgment all the time. But if it's not, then an officer can use force against you to prevent you from killing another person. And that's actually not just a matter of policing law. Anyone can use deadly force to defend another from an imminent threat of deadly harm. And so... Our law allows a lot of force to be used to protect people's lives. The more ambiguous situations are when you are doing something that is not, uh, that is against the law, but is not an imminent threat to another human being. So for example, you're trespassing on someone's property. It would be very strange to live in a world in which officers could simply tackle you at their discretion because you were trespassing um, to take you to the ground. Um, even if they plan to arrest you, uh, we the law generally expects that you will comply with your legal obligations if you are told what they are. Now, in the case of the trespass, you're not complying with your legal obligation but you still, the legal options are not to force you to comply with the law, but to ticket you or um, cite you or arrest you for failing to comply with the law. And to do any of those things, the officer first has to tell you what to do, tell you to submit, tell you to take the ticket. And only if you don't do those things will he use force to stop you. As you said, with the caveats of am I posing an immediate danger to others, 
would a command likely result in me um, running away and, and not being capturable? Uh, but I'd like to live in a society where if I'm cutting through someone's yard and trespassing uh, and a police officer sees me that they would say, stop, what are you doing? You know, this is illegal. I'm going to have to cite you rather than throw me to the, the ground, slap handcuffs on me and then have that conversation. So I might distinguish between two different kinds of commands that you've raised so far. You've mentioned the command um, to stop doing something illegal, like this trespassing example. Um, but also there's the kind of command like get out of the car, where you're not doing anything illegal, but you still might have an obligation to do what the police officer says to do. If you're doing something illegal, we putting aside when you're causing imminent harm or imminent threat of harm to someone else, an officer might tell you to stop, but whether or not he discusses it with you first, he can arrest you. It's just that in order to carry out that arrest, so he could give you a chance to comply with the law and say, hey, pick up what you've littered or get off that uh, uh, property or whatever. But that's her discretion. Yeah, that's his discretion. He could give you that chance to comply. But if he doesn't give you that chance to comply, he can still put you under arrest either way. Okay. If you're sitting in your car, if the officer doesn't tell you to get out of your car, you have no obligation to do it. You have no way to know you would have an obligation. And in fact, there is no obligation until the officer tells you of that obligation. So when an officer issues a command to do something you're, when you're not breaking the law, then he is both creating the legal obligation to do it and telling you, communicating that obligation. You know you, don't, you can't trespass because that's in the statute books. An officer doesn't have to tell you that for you to know that that's what you're required to do. But that's not true of many police commands. When a police officer tells you to put your hands by on your back or get down on the ground or put down what you're holding or stand up or turn around, all of that are legal obligations you don't have and can't know until an officer tells you. Fascinating. They're obligations created at that exact moment. Yes. Now there are, and there's actually a third category, which is sometimes there are obligations that are created uh, by the law elsewhere, but you have no way to know them. So a criminal law is on the books. But let's say a judge issues a warrant to search your home. You have no way to know that's it, it, we that's done ex parte. You're not there. That warrant issues. An officer can come to your door and enforce that warrant, but before he can. He has to knock on your door and announce his presence, unless one of the exceptions applies, and give you a chance to open your door and let him in, precisely because we let you comply with your legal obligations, and you have to be told what they are in order to do so. Yeah, why don't we take a step back? I, I'm, you know, I know that this question in, in and of itself may be simplistic, but do we have to obey police orders? It depends what you mean by have to obey. If the, the question is, can you be arrested for failing to comply with an order? Then the answer would be not if the order is illegal, right? You cannot be prosecuted for not doing something the officer had no authority to tell you to do. And that would be true if, for example, an officer told you to shut up 
when you had a First Amendment right to speak and then arrested you for failing to do so. If you were arrested for failing to follow that order, we would say that order wasn't lawful, so you can't face prosecution for it. And in fact, you might be able to sue the officer, under at least under some conditions, for retaliating against you or for interfering with your First Amendment activity. So in that case, did you have an obligation to comply? No. We could say in the sense that you cannot be prosecuted for failing to do so, and in the sense that you might have a remedy for him issuing that order, that order is not lawful. And if he had used force against you, then that force would also be illegal. But you have no way of knowing in the moment whether an uh, order is legal or illegal. And uh, if an officer tries to arrest you after issuing an illegal order, in some states, you have no right to resist. And in some states, you do. I can imagine resisting a police officer, even when a, a law, an order is unlawful, could present some new and swift problems. It does. And it's a very dangerous thing to do. Um an officer might not know his order is unlawful. It's not always easy for him to know whether he's issuing a lawful order. And in any case, officers perceive resistance as a form, uh, as a, as often as a threat. Um, and so uh, it, it, it is a dangerous thing to do. That said, I think you often hear, and police chiefs and police organizations will say, comply now, complain later, um, because it's safer for both you and the officer if there is not physical resistance in the moment. But that is a misleading uh, saying because actually there's often no way to complain later. And so one of the reasons I've written about commands is because I think we should be regulating commands better so the terms of these interactions are far clearer. It is we create danger by giving officers ambiguous power to command, by not training them about the limits of that power, and then asking people to comply with commands that are unclear um, and that sometimes are really not authorized. The comply now, complain later uh, phrase does raise the question of, yeah, and what's going to happen then? I mean, it's only in the cases where the, the most awful outcomes come to pass where we end up seeing police officers held accountable. I don't know of many cases where, hey, uh, this guy yanked me out of my car when he shouldn't have uh, makes it anywhere uh, at all. The yanking out of the car is the easier case. What if you get out of the car? An officer tells you to get now, usually during a lawful traffic stop, officers will often order people out of the car. That's actually a little bit of a interesting case because while the Supreme Court says it's constitutional to do so, um, many states haven't said clearly whether their law actually authorizes those uh, orders. Most states assume, though, that their law does authorize officers to order you out of the car. Um, but let's say an officer orders you to turn out your pockets and he's not allowed to do so. You, fearing the consequences of not complying with an officer, are usually going to comply. 
an officer tells you to put up your hands or get down on the ground or turn out your pockets, um, you don't have to be told to comply now or complain later. You're going to do so because you're going to fear the consequences of not doing so. And it's even harder if you come from a population that is over-policed and subject to more force. Certainly in many communities and people of color are facing more policing and more coercive policing, and they are told um, to comply uh, in order to avoid the consequences that they might face. But if they do comply, you turn out your pockets, there's nothing in them, you've done nothing wrong, the officer has, um, then what do you do? You could call, you have no legal recourse in the courts, you could um, call up the police department and try to file a complaint saying that you were told to turn out your pockets when you had no obligation to do so. Um, but it would be very surprising if that complaint went anywhere. Not only would there be no evidence, but even if there were, it would be unclear whether the officer had the authority. It depends on the situation. Even if it was clear that he didn't have the authority, it would be unlikely that he would be disciplined for failing to do or so. Or even if the police thought it merited looking into, they might say, oh, this is too minor. Exactly. And even if it was clear that he did break the law, any any consequences would be relatively trivial. And you probably won't bother to complain about it because you just want to go about your business. And so, right. and that's in some ways the easier case because the, the whether an officer is allowed to tell you to turn out your pockets actually is a matter of search and seizure law. And so we have a lot of law on that topic. What if an officer tells you to go on home or to back up or to uh, uh, get out of here? Those commands are not searches or seizures in most cases. And so there's much less law that governs them. And then if you comply, if you fail to comply, you might get into trouble with the officer involved. And if you do comply, there is no way for you to challenge it. There's no policies violating or even that governs what he's doing. There's no law that really regulates it. And so you'd be in a, a very you'd be very hard pressed to file a complaint, which means and the officer would be hard pressed to really know with what he, whether what he's doing is legal or not. And that puts us in this very strange situation, which is a lot of gray area in which officers are issuing commands and we're mostly complying with them, but nobody knows what the terms of that interaction really are. Yeah, maybe we could talk a bit about scope. You know, what police commands are lawful, what are not justified, do you have a, is there a test or is there some type of metric that you use? Yeah, so I think there are three ways to think about the what the legal limits on a command are. The one we usually think about is asking whether the command is constitutional. So an officer tells you to turn out your pockets, um, has to have probable cause and a warrant or an exception to the warrant requirement in order to search you. Similarly, an officer who tells you to open your door and let him in, better have probable cause and a warrant or an exception to the warrant requirement. Um, an officer who tells you to put your hands behind your back has to have the power to arrest you or stop you um, and handcuff you. So one question is, is the 
action constitutional. And that will, we'll see that in the search and seizure context, but we'll also see it in other contexts like First Amendment restraints on what an officer can tell you to do. If you are getting in the way of an officer conducting an arrest, well, that an officer can order you to stop doing. But if you're just telling the officer what you think of what he's doing, whether that's um, arresting somebody or using force, well, you have a First Amendment right to do that. And he can't issue a, a constitutional order to shut you up. That's one test. A second test is that he has to give you notice and an opportunity to comply, comply with the command, at least if it's the kind of command where he is creating your legal obligation rather than just reminding you of a legal obligation you already have. This was something you brought up in the Tyree Nichols example where the officer said, get out of the car, but then grabbed him before any reasonable human could comply. Exactly. So it, in, that's a great example of where an officer issued a command but then used force to enforce that command before Tyree Nichols had any opportunity to comply with the command. That, to me, is an unlawful order and use of force, or at least it's an unlawful manner of giving an order combined with a, a consequential unlawful use of force. And then the third category, and I think here there's a lot of uh, difficulty because state law is very unclear, is that the command has to be authorized under state law. And we don't often think about this because a lot of the litigation comes in in the constitutional setting. You're prosecuted for a crime and the officer wants to use the evidence he found when he told you to open the trunk of your car and you're going to challenge the order to open the trunk of your car by saying that the search was unconstitutional. We don't, in that case, we're not paying much attention to the order, though that's how he conducted the search. He had you open the trunk of your car. And so we focus on that constitutionality because it's very consequential in criminal cases. It, it'll determine whether the evidence comes into evidence or not. We don't often focus on whether the order was authorized under state law, so much so that we've started to elide these two categories and treat any order that's constitutional as if it was also authorized. But, but officers don't get their power from the Supreme Court interpreting constitutional rights. They get their power only from the state. So if you have no authority in state law to issue an order, that order can't be issued. What's an example of, a, of an order that, wouldn't, that might not be authorized by a state? So states have not done a very good job of saying, well, can an officer issue any command that he thinks is helpful to him to control a situation, to tell you to get down on the ground or an ordinary traffic stop, for example, or um, to uh, leave a a the scene of any arrest or crime? How far can he order you back? Uh, those questions have not been very carefully articulated in state law, and we really just don't know a lot about what states are actually uh, what states are actually authorizing officers to do. So, one thing I would like to see is some state courts being more careful about asking questions about when commands are authorized and being less likely to confuse constitutional uh, permission with state authorization. Yeah, that's a great, a great question. And, you know, it does bring up officer judgment. Uh, an officer doesn't necessarily have to pick the least, uh, the least offensive way of controlling you or the least humiliating way of controlling you. They may pick whatever comes to their mind first, or they may go the other direction and, and, and pick a way that 
that would be maximally embarrassing or maximally um, impactful to you? Even if state law were clearer than it is today, we would still have questions about how author officers use their authority, the discretion that exists within state law to issue commands. And some of the issues that you're raising about whether commands, whether officers should be minimizing the kinds of intrusion or the kinds of coercion that they demand of citizens, I think some of those should be answered not in state law, but in departmental policies. And departmental policies are something that communities can weigh in on. So an officer might be told, actually, don't put somebody in handcuffs uh, during an ordinary pedestrian stop or traffic stop unless there is a threat to the officer's safety, not just as a matter of uh, because there are multiple people, then the officer perceives a threat. And so we should order everyone out of the car and put them in handcuffs or don't order people down on the ground unless there's a good reason to do so or don't order people back uh, who are uh, videotaping uh, officers more than X number of feet. Or those are all things that departments can weigh in on and that communities can weigh in if through departments and then hold officers accountable in the ordinary way that we should be holding our officers accountable, which is actually not in court, but in, in uh, uh, internal administrative procedures and internal disciplinary uh, systems. And so we can't do that now because there are actually no policies that govern when officers or how officers issue commands. Um, it, you know, we, we might say many things about the Tyree Nichols um, incident and Tyree Nichols is the officers involved are going to face many consequences. But one thing that they could not have faced is actually uh, they might have faced discipline for using the force, but not for issuing the command in the way they did, because there's probably no policy in Memphis uh, that governs how commands are issued. In fact, I've never seen a command policy in a department. There are sometimes policies on when supervisors can issue commands to officers, but not when officers can issue commands to the public. It seems wild since this is, in a sense, the creation of legal obligation in real time. Um, it's quite a bit of, of power. Uh, and I would imagine even the police officers themselves would, would appreciate clarity. I think so. And I think it would make them safer to boot. I mean, the, you know, one of the things that happens in some police encounters is that um, people don't people believe that the officer does not have authority that the officer does have. And if we had more clarity about the scope of officers authority to issue commands, we could also educate members of the public about what the scope of that authority was. Um, and this is especially uh, an issue when officers issue ambiguous request commands. We haven't talked about that, but that's a big problem in policing too, which is if, you, if an officer is, issues a command in the form of a request, you don't always know whether you have an obligation to comply or whether you're actually being asked for voluntary cooperation with the police. Now, if you trust the police and you want to help them in pursuing their aims, which are often public safety and, and public order, then you won't really care much about that difference. But if your view is, I want to comply with my legal obligations, but that's all I want to do, then those kinds of amb ambiguous request commands can actually deprive you of your freedom because you have no way to know whether you're being requested or cooperation or commanded 
to comply. And the only way for you to figure that out, and sometimes the officer won't even decide unless you ask, but if you ask, that can be perceived as disrespectful um, and even as non-compliant. And then that can lead to the kinds of encounters and conflicts that produce force. So we're putting people in an unwinnable situation. What if you disobey a lawful command? Yes, you can be arrested, but is that failure to comply a crime in and of itself? You'll often hear an officer say, I'm giving you a lawful order. And when he's doing that, he's gesturing to statutes that make it a crime to fail to comply with a lawful order. And some people think that those statutes actually give officers the authority to issue any commands they want. That's not true because those statutes depend on the command previously being authorized and they would be unconstitutional if they gave blanket authority to the police. But they do sometimes allow you to be arrested for failing to follow a command. Usually those statutes are limited to traffic context or to street congestion, to the area around an emergency. They're not general uh, obligations to follow any command an officer might issue. So you can only be arrested for failing to follow the command under those statutes under a narrow set of situations. However, if an officer gives you a lawful command to, for example, allow him into your house um, when he has a warrant and you refuse, he can break down your door. He can use force to enforce that command or to affect that search um, without your compliance. And you could be um, subject to uh, a penalty later, perhaps, I guess, for failing to comply with the command because there was a warrant that allowed him to do so. So it could be an additional charge. Uh, yeah, I mean, you don't really see followed. additional charges for the failure to allow officers into the house um, when they have a warrant. Um, but failing to submit to an arrest, um, yes. So if you resist an arrest, a lawful arrest, you could be prosecuted for resisting arrest. And you might resist arrest in two different ways, passive resistance or active resistance. And whether states consider passive resistance criminal uh, is something that's going to be subject to state law. What's the difference between a police request and a police command? A police request invites you to cooperate with something the police officer wants you to do for your own reasons. So, for example, an officer says, may I look in the trunk of your car? And you open your trunk because you believe he has good reason to do what he's doing and you can reassure him that you are not engaged in criminal activity by opening your trunk. Let's say he's looking for a missing person. You want to facilitate his search as quickly as possible. You let him look, you drive on, you've cooperated rather than complied. Officers request cooperation a lot, maybe more than they should. And part of the reason that they do that is because they sometimes aren't clear about whether they're asking for cooperation or actually asking you to follow uh, an officer's request for a different reason. So a request gives you a choice. 
you can decide to cooperate or not to cooperate for your own reasons based on the kind of request he asks. He, if he said, jump up and down and pat your head, I'd really like you to do that. You might say, nah, I'm actually really busy. I'm going on my way. But if he says, I'm looking for a missing person, do you mind if I look in your backyard? You might say, feel free, go ahead. Okay. Either way, you decide based on the content of the question and your desire to cooperate with the government what you're going to do. A command is different. When an officer issues a command, he does two things. He tells you what he wants from you and implicitly or explicitly, he invokes his authority as a reason for you to comply. So an, an officer won't always invoke his authority if he's facing you. If, if you see an officer and he's in uniform and he tells you stop, you will stop. But if you are turned around, he'll shout stop police. Why? Because he is telling you stop, not because I'm somebody who would really like you to stop moving, but stop because I am invoking the, the state authority and you have an obligation to comply with that authority. And so independent of the re of the content of the command, he is telling you his state authority gives you his the, a reason to comply with what he's requesting. That's a command. And then state by state, it depends whether or not you still need to comply with an unlawful command. Uh, some states you will, some states you won't. Well, it but depends you what you mean by need to comply. The, some states will allow you to physically resist an officer who enforces an illegal command. Mm, That's not it's so even harder. You have to be pretty specific about what we mean by do you have an obligation to comply? But you do not have to comply with a police request. I, I guess my question, my follow up question is, do we see commands that are phrased as requests and requests that are phrased as commands? Yes, all the time. So when an officer pulls you over, the, he issues the first command he issues is that the lights and sirens. That's a silent command to pull over. Um, you know that when an officer issues those lights and sirens, that creates your obligation. Up to then, you are free to drive along the road. Once those lights and sirens go on, you are required to pull over under the law. So you follow that command, and then an officer walks up to your car and says, may I have your license and registration? May I have your license and registration? Officers will sometimes phrase it as a command, which it is, but even if he phrases it as a polite request, may I please have your license and registration? You know that that is actually a command. You have no free choice about whether you give him your license and registration, and if you refuse to do so, you can you could face legal consequences. That's a command issued as a request, and officers do it pretty often. They're often encouraged to do it. They're told to be polite. They're told to be um, uh, not intrusive and not coercive, and so they think they're doing they think they're doing the right thing when they phrase commands politely. But that can actually create ambiguity. Sometimes it's really obvious, license and registration, please, but sometimes it is not. And the the politeness it is a problem in those situations. So that's a command that's issued as a request. Then we have lots of requests that are issued as eh, at least ambiguous commands. So an illegal command would be open the trunk of your car when the officer has no reason, no probable cause to search the trunk of your car. 
Um, but an officer might ask you, uh, 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 can you pop the trunk, please? Is that a request with, with that you are free Ooh, to comply yeah, that's a, with that's a or tricky a command? One. You don't really know. And we could say that's a command in the form of a request that then later is going to be argued to be a request that's therefore legal, even though you experienced it in the moment as a command. And that creates this gray zone, which I think it causes a lot of our sense of alienation um, in encounters with police. How about feedback? Is it is it always fine to say, officer, is that a, a request or a command? Yeah, you know, it depends what you mean by is it always fine. It, it, you are always permitted to ask to clarify whether something is a request or a command. And it's often a good thing to do because sometimes an officer himself will not have decided whether his statement was a request or a command. And by asking that question, you can actually force the issue. Either it is or it isn't a command. And if he says it's a request, now you have the choice. If he says it is a command, now you don't. Okay. So the, I think. I think that can be helpful. The problem is that we really should be training officers not to perceive that question as confrontational. Um, and in fact, sometimes courts, there are a few courts that have actually, <laughs> officers who have argued that somebody was behaving suspiciously because they asked that question. Wow. Because they asked for clarification, what they were doing was obviously suspicious. And courts have allowed that to be used as part of the suspicion that justified the command that you were trying to clarify. That's not okay. That surprises me that a court would would find any sympathy for an argument against a question about legal rights. Several state courts have permitted that question to be treated as part of the suspiciousness of the person's behavior. When what we really should be treating that as, as a way to clarify an individual's legal relationship with the law. So if you think that police officers are making law effectively when they give you a command, we should be really interested in the circumstances in which law gets made. And it's not like other law. So when a court issues an order, you can appeal that order before it's enforced. You can, you can, you often have time to decide what to do. You can hire a lawyer who can go into court and argue on your behalf. When an, when an officer issues a command, the officer both issues the command and often enforces it in real time. You have no time to decide and no way to appeal or get that revised or get it reviewed. And so I think we have to be really cautious about how these commands get governed on the front end because we have so little opportunity in the moment. And as you mentioned, Professor, you're being analyzed in the entire time, even thinking too hard about whether or not you want to comply with a command could be used against you. Yeah, and I don't want to attribute bad intent. A lot of the ambiguities here come from the fact that officers really often face uncertainty about whether they face a threat. They face uncertainty in their interactions with people. They don't know if you're armed. They don't know if you're drunk. They don't know if you're angry. They don't know if you plan to comply with the law or not. Um, and they often don't know the scope of their own authority to control the situation, and yet 
you're fearful, fearful about not controlling the situation. And so I think sometimes giving legal clarity helps officers too when they're trying to do the right thing. I think right now we're not training officers properly with respect to commands. For those listening for MCLE credit, let's make it easy this time. The code is 11111. Very simple. All ones. 11111. And now back to the interview. We sometimes talk about unlawful orders or illegal commands. Are these, if, if a police officer makes a command that is not legally justified, does that in and of itself make it illegal or it just makes it something that uh, you can't be punished for uh, failing to comply with? That's kind of complicated because it depends what you mean by illegal. So if an officer tells you to do something that he is not has no authority to tell you to do, then he can't lawfully arrest you for failing to comply. He can't lawfully use force against you for failing to comply. Um, but if you don't comply, you might there might be no legal uh, consequence for him for issuing that unlawful command. There's no um, it's not a crime to issue a lawful unlawful command. And if you don't comply with the so an officer does not commit a crime when he uh, issues an unlawful command. If and if you don't comply with the command and he doesn't force you to comply with the command, I don't see what legal remedy there would be for that unlawful command. Um, if an officer issues an unlawful command and then attempts to enforce it, then we can then his. Uh, actions will have legal consequences. He could be sued or he could be criminally prosecuted. But simply issuing the command is not a crime. Okay. So if the officer issues an unlawful command and then uses force to enforce that command, that force could be unjustified and thus illegal? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, the force could be illegal. Yes. I don't know of any case, maybe, are there any cases that you know of where an officer made an unlawful command and then faced actual criminal uh, consequences for the command, uh, not for, in, not for uh, use of deadly force that may have, have followed, but for the command and perhaps an arrest that followed? So yes to the arrest or force, but no to the command itself. So if an officer issues a command that you submit to an arrest and then arrests you, um, then we would say that arrest was illegal and he could be sued and potentially, although it's almost unheard of, prosecuted for the illegal arrest. And for the force that he used to then uh, uh, impose that arrest if you resist it. But if you if he tells you you're under arrest, put your hands behind your back and you say no, and then he doesn't follow up, then you have almost no recourse and he can't be sued or prosecuted for that illegal command. It's an attempted unlawful arrest, but it's not an unlawful arrest under the law. At least I, I think that's right. I certainly have never seen a case like that. 
you know, we might not want to govern commands by criminalizing issuing commands. There are, I think there are better ways to do this. Um, like many aspects of police, when we think about policing, we often think about the back end. We think about the uses of force and the arrests. But one of the ways we govern policing is by describing the authority that police can use to go out and do what they do on the street. You know, we tell officers you can make arrests when you have probable cause and you can do it with a warrant under these circumstances and without a warrant under those circumstances. Um, we tell officers that they can use force only when they're uh, enforcing a um, engaging in a lawful activity and issuing a command that they can, that is then resisted. Um, we just don't focus much on commands as the category. And yet that's what starts all these things going. If you look at an arrest, an arrest sounds like a thing an officer does. We talk about it as if it's a single act, but actually look at what an arrest is and you will see that it is a series of actions by both the officer and the individual, most of which consti are constituted by a command and compliance, command and compliance. Put your hand, turn around, put your hands behind your back. Uh, then the officer puts the cuffs on you. He pats you down. Walk over here and get into the car. Get out of the car. I mean, it's a series of commands. And we, so when we describe an arrest and, and don't think about the commands at all, we're not really capturing what's going on there. And so whether a command should be criminalized or not criminalized, that's not really the issue. It's partly about understanding how officers are actually doing what we tell them to do and what they're authorized to do. So when we say, you know, an officer it, it conducted a stop or conducted an arrest or conducted a search, most of the time what we're saying is that he issued a bunch of commands. There are a few kinds of searches that don't involve commands, but 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 a lot of what our interactions with officers are built around commands. Commands aren't aren't an alternative to an arrest. They are the atoms that policing is made up of. You mentioned that there are some searches that don't involve commands. I'm thinking of you know certain types of electronic searches, for example, or um, as as you mentioned, and perhaps a no knock warrant. Where there's nobody home, there's probably not going to be any any commands involved there. Well, um, so I, that's absolutely right. I think you can think of commands as something that only happens in encounters. Police do a lot of what they do not in encounters. So when police collect evidence about you when you're not there by calling up your internet service provider, following the Electronic Communications Privacy Act... That has, you aren't there. It's not an encounter. They issue no commands to you. Okay. And so officers often do things that do not involve encounters. Even when an officer interacts with members of the public, he doesn't always issue commands. He might go to a community meeting and get feedback and input from the public about what the biggest concerns in the community are, that's, he's not going to issue commands. He doesn't want you to do anything. He, he's gathering information. But in many encounters, officers have a reason to get you to do something you don't want to do. And, and that's where you're going to see commands. And that might be to get you to behave in certain ways, to get you to facilitate a search or a seizure or the like. And so in those contexts, we do see commands. Now, there are a few kinds of commands in encounters 
that still don't, or a few kinds of searches in encounters that still don't require commands. Um, and that's usually when an officer can't trust you to safely provide the information yourself or when you can't provide the information yourself. So an officer uh, can't command you to provide blood uh, in a to check your blood alcohol level. He has to take draw your blood or usually have a third party to do that. And so we do have some searches and encounters that uh, that can't be done by commands and other searches and encounters that can only be done by command. So an officer wants the passcode for your phone. The only way to get it is to command you to provide that information. He can't force you to provide that information. Can an officer command me to provide the password for my phone? Only if the officer has uh, uh, both authority and constitutional permission to get into the phone. Um, but so usually uh, we have a problem with uh, requiring that you provide information that can be used against you. If it's to provide your fingerprint, we know officers can do it if he has authority to conduct the search and the search is constitutional. If it's providing information like your passcode, that's more problematic under the law. Interesting. So if I if I have the face code on on my phone or where it you know all it has to do is scan my face, an officer can require me to provide my face to unlock my phone. Yes, although in most cases, officers need a warrant to search the phone. So in, except in an emergency, an officer usually will need a warrant to search the phone. And so he won't um, uh, do that in an encounter like in a traffic stop or during an arrest or the like. Uh, but he might do it in order to unlock the phone and then um, uh, make sure it continues to stay unlocked so that it can be searched later. That depends on how officers are are complying with the obligation to go get the warrant later. But yeah, there is a difference between providing a password and providing your face ID. That's correct. How about the level of compliance with an order or a command? Let's say a police officer says, get down on your knees and put your hands on your head. What if I, I recently had knee surgery and getting down on my knees would be perhaps excruciating or perhaps unsafe for me? Is that something that I can reasonably expect an officer to be amenable to? You know, I, I'm sorry, I can't get down on my knees, but I'll sit on my butt. That's a hard one. If you're, there are two, again, multiple ways to think about this. One is what's going to happen if an officer uses force against you for not getting down on your knees and you sue? Um, will you win? And the answer is probably not. Um, if you tell an officer, I can't get down on your knee, on my knees, and he either doesn't believe you or uses force against you anyway for failing to comply with that order, that force might be constitutional. But as a matter of policy, that's clearly seriously problematic. Officers should be willing to hear um, the reasons why you might not be able to comply with the command and give you an opportunity to satisfy the concern in some other way, or at least negotiate about it. Um, sometimes they won't be able to do that because in an emergent situation, if somebody's life is on the line, they might not be able to give you that opportunity, but usually they can and they should. Um, and that should be a matter of police policy uh, in police departments. Um, you know, sometimes we talk about procedural justice in policing, and one of the um, core 
uh, aspects of procedural justice is the idea that officers should give uh, give you the opportunity to voice your concerns and to hear them. And so if you an officer gives you a command to which you cannot comply, um, the officer has to be, uh, in, in terms of procedural justice, receptive to your arguments and, and discussion. The other thing is that, you know, police commands raise special issues for people with you raise the issue of it being uh, difficult for you to get down on the ground. Police commands raise special issues for people with disabilities very frequently, either because somebody with, with a disability might not be able to, uh, understand or interpret the command. Um, somebody who is deaf might not hear the command. Somebody who's with autistic spectrum disorder might not be able to uh, comply with the commands in a timely fashion or somebody with uh, um, other kinds of uh, perceptual or mental disabilities might not be able to uh, process the command or understand the command. And so we can have all sorts of challenges. Many of us have many kinds of challenges and they can affect our ability to understand, to perceive the commands or to comply with them. So that, that you know, one category is, can we perceive and understand the command? The other is, can we comply with the command? And for all sorts of physical reasons, uh, somebody might not be able to comply with the command. And when we're talking, when we're training officers, both on uh, interacting with people in vulnerable populations, but also in issuing commands, we should be talking about these special issues because they raise all sorts of questions um, in policing. And there are many encounters that go awry because somebody didn't understand a command um, and therefore didn't comply with it. And then force was used against them before officers had an opportunity to figure that out. We've spoken about commands, and and I must admit, in in my questions, I've I've mostly been trying to understand the the rights of of the the commandee. But that's not to say there aren't real reasons why a police officer uh, would want to be able to make quick commands that are obeyed. How do we get to a, a better balance, Professor? You talk about commands as the the atoms, I suppose. Is is that what you said? Of, of a, yes, of course. Policing, that's one way to say it. Yes. So how do we get a better atomic structure? Is there, do we need new regulations? Is this just a question of training? Uh, what's the, what's the answer? So training generally follows policy, which means we need policies um, that help guide uh, the kinds of commands that officers should be issuing, how they should be issuing those commands, and then how they should be understanding the situations that can arise when commands aren't uh, followed immediately. Um, so that's one possibility is that we develop better policies. But departments often develop policies in response to the law. And so state law, state statutes, you know, we states have been extremely active in the last few years in regulating many aspects of policing, the use of force and uh, decertification of police officers, uh, increasing, uh, some states are working to reduce qualified immunity, or I mean, there are just dozens and dozens of laws each year uh, around policing. It might be time to start thinking about being clearer about so the authority that police have uh, to issue some kinds of commands, and in particular, the kinds of commands where officers are issuing a command to protect their safety. So an officer can't frisk you 
to protect himself unless he has reasonable suspicion to believe that you are armed and dangerous. But an officer under in, in, can, in most states can order you out of the car without reasonable suspicion that you pose any threat to him. That's something that we might actually want to control as a matter of state law. Do, do we really want officers to have the power to order anyone out of the car, even in an ordinary traffic stop where there is no reason to believe that the officer's safety is at risk? Some states have decided against the officer doing that as a matter of state constitutional law, but state statutes haven't governed this issue. They should and could. Okay, so that's another category of legal regulation. And then there's state courts, which could just be more careful about about uh, asking the question about what state authority exists um, to issue certain kinds of commands. And so I do think that we could use a better governing structure. And that happens at multiple levels. Yeah, I guess one thing is that, you know, I don't believe that officers should not issue commands. In fact, I actually think that commands often protect individuals by being clear about an officer's expectations and that way setting the terms of an encounter more crisply. And and officers, there are commands that officers have to be able to issue to control a situation, to protect themselves, to protect members of the public, or to get the job done. When we decide that an arrest is worth doing, then we should expect that that arrest will be affected by a series of commands. That's the best case scenario. And so I think we do need to, the idea is not to ban all commands. It's to make sure that they're adequately governed and that our understandings and expectations are clear and that people have access to the law that that applies to them. No one should be in, in, in an interaction with the government in which the law is completely inaccessible, not only to them, but to the lawgiver himself. Yeah, I imagine a police encounter, an arrest with no commands is going to be much more unpleasant for for both sides than a police encounter with appropriate commands. Yes. In fact, every all of policing would look like no-knock warrants. And um, that I, I, I don't know if you remember several years ago, James Blake, a, a tennis star, um, in was standing outside a Midtown hotel in New York and was tackled by police officers who had probable cause to arrest him. He happened to be the wrong guy, but that probable cause did not extend to arrest by tackle. He was literally standing in front of a hotel looking at his phone. It was a nonviolent crime. He was should something have stolen been issued from Macy's, perhaps? I think it was a credit card fraud involving sneakers, high-end sneakers. The problem was not that he was the wrong guy, though he was the wrong guy, and that was a problem. He had been identified by a witness, so the officers weren't unreasonable in thinking that he was the perpetrator. But even if he were the perpetrator, it was unreasonable not to issue commands in order to effect that arrest. And so that's an arrest where we say, hey, that force never should have been used before a command was issued and it was. And so I, I think there are lots of situations in which commands are the better outcome, not the worse outcome. But that doesn't mean that they should be ungoverned. Looking forward, are there any standout examples of, I, I suppose, police departments or states that are leading the charge here that are, are actually putting policies in place that, that are smart, that, that could help? I think there are a lot of 
police departments and states that are making an effort to deal with the consequences of commands, to, to think about um, when arrests might be unnecessary or to think about when force could be avoided. I don't think that anyone is taking on specifically the problem of commands. And that's partly because we have not recognized the significance of commands in policing. Um, we've really buried them. You know, we read cases on constitutional law and the commands become invisible because we call it an arrest or a search. And so until we recognize the significance of commands in how people interact with the police, I don't think we're going to regulate them properly. That's part of what I'm trying to do. Rachel Harmon is a professor of law at the University of Virginia School of Law and the author of the book, The Law of the Police. Rachel Harmon, a pleasure as always. Thank you. For more legal explainers and interviews with the titans of law, visit TalksOnLaw.com. If you're earning MCLE for this interview, you can enter your confirmation code at TalksOnLaw.com slash podcast to get your certificate. Join us again soon for more cutting-edge interviews on the Talks on Law MCLE podcast.